Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 22 through 27, and then we'll move into chapter 4. Ezekiel 3, 22. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise and go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Kebar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Now when we left off last time, Ezekiel was sitting in mourning among the Israelites in captivity in Babylon on the Kebar Canal. Now God has him go out into the valley so he can speak to him there. There's something here that I want to take some time to deal with. Like I said, he had been lifted by the Spirit and carried to the Kebar Canal. He sat there for seven days in complete silence and mourning with those who are at the water's edge there in Babylon, mourning for Jerusalem, as we saw last time we were together. But now God says, I want you to go out in the valley. And God takes him out into the valley and he speaks to him there. I want to talk to you and spend a little bit of time tonight showing you from Scripture that there's value in getting alone with God to get his message and there also seems to be a pattern in the scriptures of God being the one who leads out in this. And so I want to talk to you tonight about, we're going to go, back, we're going to go all the way back to Exodus. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. There are going to be times in all of our lives that God brings us to this point where we are just anxiously needing a word from God. And if you've been walking with the Lord at any, for any length of time, this has happened to you more than once. Where He puts you in situations where you just have to hear from God. And a lot of us sometimes get to that point where we are so anxious and, and hungry for a word of God, we close our eyes and just open our Bibles like this in hopes that we'll hear something. But I want to show you that God is the one who gets us to that point, and God is the one who leads us out sometimes to get us away from the noise of life so that He can speak to us. In, his, in Exodus chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, if you know Moses' story, he didn't grow up in the wilderness here tending sheep, did he? Where did he grow up? In a palace. He was the adopted child of Pharaoh's daughter, and he had lived a very royal life. Later on in his life, as he's defending the Israelites, his people, he puts one to death for treating a, an Israelite bad. Uh, sorry, he puts a, a, an Egyptian to death for treating one of the Israelites bad. And because of this, word starts to spread that he had done this, and he has to run for his fear of his life out into the wilderness. He actually ends up tending sheep for quite a few years for his father-in-law. And while he was in that situation in which he had been pretty much put on a shelf, if you will, 
Some of us get to that point where we feel like we've been put on a shelf. We wonder why things that used to be a busy life and I was doing all this now, I don't. It was in that time that God got a hold of him and he revealed to him that he wasn't done with him and he had a plan for him. But God has to lead us, lead out sometimes in getting us to that place where we tune out the noise so that we can hear him speak. Go to Exodus chapter 19. Look at verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They came out from, sorry, they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So again, he, has, he does it again with Moses. He brings them out into the wilderness. And then on top of that, he separates Moses from the rest of the people, takes him up on that mountain alone with himself. And there God, pulling Moses away, speaks to him. Go to Joshua chapter 5. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, Where do, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. As you remember that story, as Joshua has now been called by God, to he's been commissioned to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Moses has now died. God brings Joshua out away by himself to a place while he's out on a walk. And he sees this individual standing there, pretty mighty, carrying a sword. And Joshua's question is, are you on our side or theirs? <laughs> and I love God's answer. God says, neither. I'm my own team. And then he hears the same thing that Moses was told, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he fell on his face. And we know now this wasn't just an angel. This was God himself who was there. Again, God led out in creating circumstances so that the individual would be brought to a place where he could hear God speak. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> There's patterns in scriptures. Be careful of formulas. I'm going to say that to you again because we need to hear it. There are patterns in scriptures. Be careful of formulas. Because the patterns reveal who God is and how He works and how He may, will not work. Yet at the same time, when we try to turn how God works into a formula, we think we have God figured out. And you'll never do that. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, he said, here I am. 
And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called, called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other time, at the other, at other time, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Again, in this situation, if you know the story of Samuel, he was a special child that his mother Hannah had prayed for because she wasn't able to have children. And God answered her prayer and she dedicated this child to the Lord. And when he was weaned, she brought him to the temple to serve in the temple of the Lord. And he had been raised pretty much in the temple. Eli was not a man of God at this point. He'd kind of turned away from God. His own sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were wicked young men. And actually a judgment of God was going to be coming on Eli and his sons soon because of their sin. And actually the first message that Samuel is told to go speak is in the very next verses where he's, when he finally, first for the first time, hears God speak and recognizes God speaking to him, the first message this young boy is to speak is to go to Eli, the one who's raised him, and say, God's going to kill you and your sons because of your wickedness. But God had orchestrated Samuel's life to get him to a place where he had learned to tune out everything else and he could hear God. Folks, let me say this to you again, and I'm going to give you some more examples. I don't think it's any accident that Ezekiel was told, go out into the valley. Go out into the valley and God will speak with you there. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. You want to talk about being brought away from the noise of everyday life. Isaiah was taken to another realm. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to, the, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Oh, the very next verses are the message that he's been given now to go speak. But again, God led out and orchestrated Isaiah's life in such a way that he would pull him away from the noise of everyday life so that he could hear God speak. I'm saying this because I need this, and we all need this. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Paul sharing his story. Look at verses 11 through 24. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, 
but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then he goes, then after three years, I went up to those in Jerusalem. Folks, did you catch that? If you know the story of Paul, as he was on his way on the road to Damascus to have more Christians arrested and put to death for their faith, Jesus showed up on that road, blinded him in such a way that he fell off his horse and God got his attention and he had to be led by the hand because he was blinded to this house. And Ananias was used of God to pray for him and his eyes were open and he was healed. And then he didn't go learn the gospel and all this stuff that he's been preaching and teaching through his writings. He didn't learn it from man teaching him, here's what you need to believe now. This is what we other humans are believing. He actually was taught by Jesus himself face to face. He went out into the desert of Arabia. Why? Because God will orchestrate our lives to bring us to a place where He will get us where we can hear Him and only Him. Let me just ask for a nod of heads or a raise of a hand for those of you that have walked with the Lord. You ever been in those times? <laughs> we laugh and nod our heads because we say way more than once. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Some of you might be needing to hear this today. Or you might be in a situation where you need a word from the Lord. I'm going to challenge you that your circumstances are not an accident. God getting you to that place of holy dissatisfaction is not, a, not, a, not an accident. There is something He has for you, but He's intentionally bringing you to a place where you'll hear only Him. You've probably been running to the preacher and saying, what do you think I ought to do? You've probably been talking to all your friends on Facebook and saying, what do you think? And God doesn't want you to get your answers from them. He wants you to hear from Him. And in Matthew chapter 6, listen to verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, when they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want to challenge you to pray without ceasing and pray while you're driving your car. Pray while you're doing your job. Pray while you're grocery shopping. Pray while you're at the bank. Pray with, as you live your life. But I want to also encourage you to find those times where you get alone and it's just you and God. I actually had one of those times this past weekend. I'm not going to get into all the details of it. But during the evacuation, while we were in Gainesville, God orchestrated my life where I spent an hour in a waiting room at Shan's Hospital. And in that time that I was there in that waiting room by myself, I had a few things I wanted to ask God. And He had orchestrated my life to the point where I actually could only hear Him. There was a TV in the waiting room, but it didn't work. Nobody else came in during that hour. And as I sat there with my Bible, I heard God speak some things to me. Again, that's for me and God. But I want to say to you, it's no accident that Ezekiel was told, go out into the valley. 
and I'll speak with you there. I don't know what's going on in your life. He knows. And in each of these situations, who led out? It was God. So instead of saying, where's God? Tune everything out. Turn everything else off. And go get alone with him. He's doing that for a reason. But now after bringing Ezekiel out into the valley, God tells him to go into his house and accomplish his ministry from there. Now, this is kind of confusing for us. He's to be a prophet to the people, but from his house. And he's not to go out among the people. As you know, he's in exile. And there's lots of reasons why God does what he's doing. I'm going to give you one example of, from Scripture why, but I'm not going to show you just yet. But I want you to understand that when God does stuff, he has a purpose. But don't ever think for a second that you say, oh, I know why God did this. Whenever someone says, I know why God did this, they've just shown their ignorance because God never does just one thing. <laughs> he never has just one reason why he does something. There are many, many reasons, and they all go together in ways we'll never understand. But interestingly enough, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 3, you'll see that he was told, all right, I'm going to use you to speak to the people, but you can't leave your house. And I'm actually going to tie you up in such a way, spiritually, that you can't leave your house and go out among the people. God wants to use him to go out among the people and preach a message to the people, yet he says, you have to stay in your house. Go to chapter 8 of Ezekiel, look at verse 1, you'll see he's being faithful. In, in Ezekiel chapter 8, look at verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Isn't that interesting how the elders of Judah are sitting in Ezekiel's house? Why? Well, word has begun to spread that God's been speaking to Ezekiel and the people have gone to him. And so he's been told, don't leave your house. Well, let me ask you a question. Why would God commission Ezekiel to be a watchman and warn the people, but not let him leave his house in doing so? Preparation? Any second on Ezekiel's part? That's a possibility. By the way, there's more than one reason, so don't be afraid to throw out an idea here. So why, why would God commission him to be a messenger to the people, but tell him you can't leave your house? Ooh, that's where we're going to be going. Sheila said the people that are truly interested are going to be coming to him. And that's where we're exactly going to go. That's the one of the many reasons we're going to deal with tonight. Any other ideas? And, and doesn't that become part of the miracle of it, that God tells him to stay right here and God brings the people? You mean we don't have to mark it? You mean all these churches that are spending all these thousands of dollars on marketing? You mean it was all those years as a pastor when I was getting the mail of how if you use our company strategy, you can double your attendance. Folks, there's a sad, sad thing that has happened to the church today where we think we have to use the ways of the world to accomplish the things of God. It was funny. Vance Havner one time preached from a passage where Jesus did a miracle and then told the man not to tell anybody that he had done it. He said, Jesus tells people, he does the miracle and doesn't advertise. He says the church today is advertising and doing no miracles. And let me just tell you folks, avoid man's way of using man's methods to get things done. God was able to get his work done by telling the guy, don't leave your house. Oh, by the way, those of you that are mamas again, and grandmamas, aren't able to get out as much as you used to. Someone might have to come and take care of you. 
Don't fall to the lie of the enemy when he whispers and says, you can't be used of God because you can't go out. God can use you. As you said, Sheila, one of the reasons is a big part of for him who has ears to hear involves the willingness on the part of the seeker of God and his word to seek. For those who truly want to know, they're going to find out where the answer is. And God has done that. Now, I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures that go along this line. Now, before we go, though, keep in mind what I've said all along. No one seeks God unless God draws them first. But as the scripture teaches, he draws everybody in some way at some time. So if anybody is seeking God, he's begun the work. But as much as God begins the work, every individual has a choice of whether or not they're going to respond to the work of God as he draws them. And a big part of, for those who have ears to hear, is the individual who's begun to be drawn by God actually doing a little bit of effort into going and finding the answer. As God says, come and see. Go, go to Matthew chapter 11. You'll start to see this all through the scriptures. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Oh, Paul's impact. Paul's impact while he was in jail was huge. You're right. Yep. Matthew 11, look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, I'll be right there. Does he say that? No, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the first thing he says here? Come to me. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, look at verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him, again you see it, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, Jesus stood there and said, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to me. I thought you were about to ask a question, John. You just make yourself more beautiful. I understand. I got it. John chapter 6, go to verse 35. John chapter 6, look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever, there it is again, comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Look at Jeremiah 29, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, but we always stop at the passage we like. We don't keep reading. Jeremiah 29, look at verses 10 through 14. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. As he was speaking to the nation of Israel, this prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in the last days at the end of the tribulation period, he says, there'll come a point where I have awesome plans for you, but in that day you will come seeking for me. And that's what they're going to do. But again, there's an effort to go 
here. When, when you're being drawn of the Spirit and you're truly responding, we don't have to go help them. The Lord will do His work to begin His work, and they must then respond. Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who what? Who seek Him. Isn't that interesting in those times when God is silent? In those times when God is orchestrating our, our lives to get us to that point where we get pulled away, where we actually tune out everything and get alone with God so that He can speak to us. Isn't it interesting, though, that in those times when He's silent and He's not, in our eyes, been there for us, our first reaction is to go away. Isn't that cool? Well, it's kind of sad at the same time. But Satan will try to make you give up on God when He's actually orchestrating your life so that you will run to Him. Now, I know the evangelists that are out here today will be, and those who are listening online will say, wait a minute, Jim, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? I mean, aren't we supposed to go out? Let's go look at that passage that has been quoted so many times, but never truly quoted correctly. Go to Romans chapter 10. In this whole context of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul is dealing with the fact that he has this heart's desire for Israel to be saved. He even says at the beginning of chapter 9, he says, if I could go to hell so that Israel would be saved, I would do it. That's how much I want my people, Israel, to be saved. And then he deals with the fact that God has revealed to them, and he's preached this to them all along. This message of salvation by faith alone and through God's grace has always been preached to them. And as you look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, especially chapter 10, you'll notice in your Bibles that there's a lot of quotes from the Old Testament. And then we see in, in um, verse 14, How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Folks, listen closely to what I want you to hear. Romans 10, which says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them, is not saying if we don't get it out, they won't hear. Actually, in the full context, Paul is saying God would never expect Israel to believe something they had never heard. How can they hear unless someone has preached to them is actually saying they did hear because it was preached to them. They didn't believe the message. They didn't respond. All day long, God has held out His arms to a disobedient people. We take that passage because we put the pressure on us, because we got to market and we got to sell ourselves and we got to get it out there, and God can't do it without us. And if we don't work a little harder, it isn't going to get done. And all this attitude that is thinking that it's up to us, we lose sight of the fact that we have a God who says, go sit in your house and I'll get everything done from there. In this context that we have loved to quote and say, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? The full context actually is flipped. He's saying they did hear. 
He wouldn't have expected them to believe something he never told them. He has been preaching it to them. His word has gone out into all the earth. They just rejected it. That doesn't mean that God isn't still using people to go out. That doesn't mean that God isn't still calling people to give up, give up their family and their homes to go to other parts of the world. Please don't hear me in saying that that's not part of God's plan. But please listen closely. God is plenty powerful enough to get all of his work done if every one of us quit today. The stars declare the glory of God. The heavens declare. Jesus said, look, if these people stop praising me, the rocks are going to cry out. It's going to get done. The thing I want you to stop thinking, though, or falling prey to the world's thought is we have to work hard. We have to do our part. How many of you ever heard someone say God helps those who help themselves? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Because the Bible teaches that God helps those who realize they're helpless. That way he gets all the glory. So Ezekiel was told, go to your house. Look at it again in verse um, 26. He's just told him, I'm going to bind you with cords so you can't go out among the people. In verse 26, I'll make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for their rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I'll open your mouth and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Folks, let me just tell you, I was just reminded of something as I read that. You know when my mom was the most effective in getting us kids' attention? I'm one of five, by the way. And four of us were boys. I have an older sister, and then I'm the oldest of four boys. And my mom was an only child, and her mom died when she was only 13. She married my dad and started making babies right away. There was always a period where three kids were in diapers for a long, long period of time. My dad worked three different jobs all at once, and my poor mom raised us pretty much by herself. And you know what just came to my mind as I read this? When my mom got our attention the most was not when she was saying, hey! is when she had gotten to the point where she got silent. And all of a sudden we realized, mom's not talking. And she got our attention. Sometimes... And many times, God does the same. You remember what at the time of, his, of Samuel we read about? There hadn't been a word from the Lord in a while. By the way, does anybody know how long of a period between Malachi and Matthew? There was a silence 400 years. Oh, by the way, was he about to do something that he wanted their attention for? Yeah, the Messiah was going to show up on the scene. So, folks, in these times when we say, hello, He's orchestrating your life to get you to get alone so that he can speak that word to you that you need to hear from him and him alone. This whole, all my life, I've always struggled with it. I never understood why. But being a pastor and listening to people say, I need my pastor. I need someone to listen to me. When the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Yet we have looked to man we wonder why God is silent. Let's go to chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 17. Not only does God get silent, sometimes He acts crazy. Look at, look at Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem. 
and put siege works against it and build a siege wall against it and cast up a mound against it, set camps also against it and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a stage of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear the, their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. And you take wheat and barley beans and lentils, millet and, and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of the days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food that you eat shall be by weight, Twenty shekels a day from day to day you shall eat it, and water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hin. From day to day you shall drink, and you shall eat it as, bar as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. And the Lord said, This shall be, the, shall be the people of Israel. Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth up until now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I assign to you cow's dung then instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and in dismay. I will do this, that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away because of their punishment. Ezekiel is now told to take a brick and to either engrave a picture of the city of Jerusalem on it or just write the word Jerusalem on it. We're not really sure, but we know this much. The brick is to be clearly known that it represents Jerusalem. Then Ezekiel was to build a wall of dirt around it like ramps and put camps around it and battering rams too so that it was clear that Jerusalem was to be attacked by an invading army. As you know, the cities back then were walled cities. And when armies would come to attack, they would take massive amounts of dirt and move it. And over a long period of time, they would build these battering rams and wall, siege walls and they would make their way into the city. By the way, when the fall of Jerusalem actually happened in 586 B.C., it actually began in 588 because they were building the siege walls and against it. There was also a period where they stopped for a period because they thought Egypt was coming to stop them, and then they stopped, but then they, they finished. So go with me to 2 Kings chapter 25, and tell me if this doesn't sound similar to what Ezekiel has just been told to prophesy about. 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 26. I'm going to read to you these accounts of the attack of Jerusalem that ended in 586 B.C. 2 Kings chapter 25 verses 1 through 26. Remember what Ezekiel has just been told to do. It says, In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month of the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem, and he laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. Sound familiar? 
So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Sound familiar? Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls. By the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him, and they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him into Babylon. In other words, they murdered his sons right in front of him, and then they took, poked his eyes out, so that's the last thing he saw, the thing that would stay in his memory. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of, the, of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of his bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem, and the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted the, to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuchadnezzar, Dan, uh, the captain of the guard carried into exile, but the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands in the, of bronze, the sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. The fire pans also in the bowls, what was of gold the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of one of the pillars was 18 cubits, and it was on a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the lattice work and the pomegranates, all of bronze, were all around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with the lattice work. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the keeper, three keepers of the threshold, and from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war and five men of the king's council who were found in the city and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. And over, the, and over the people who remained in this land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor. Now when all the captains and their men heard that the, the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah governor, they came with their men to Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Jehonan, the son of Korea, and Sariah, the son of Tanumeth, and the, the Netophathite, and Jehezaniah, the son of the Machathite, and Gedaliah swore to them and their man, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces around, arose and went to Egypt, for they were, they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now we're going somewhere with all this for lots of reasons. One, I'm going to read to you another passage in Jeremiah, a little small, shorter passage. So go ahead and go to Jeremiah 39. We're going to look at Jeremiah's account of the same thing. 
But I want you to see, because you're going to see some things that we read today there in 2 Kings. Later on, we get further on in Ezekiel, you're going to see some of the prophecy that Ezekiel gives of what happened there in chapter 25 of 2 Kings come true as well, as they run off and God chases them and catches them as they run off. But I want you to understand that as God told Ezekiel, hey, I want you to pick a brick, put the city of Jerusalem on it. I want you to put siege works around it, and I want you to show that it's going to be under attack. And it's interesting that God tells him to lay on his side and to put a wall of iron, a, a frying pan, if you will, or a griddle of iron between him and the city as a picture of how God will be separated from them during this time. And all the things that are prophesied come true. The fact that he says they're going to be starving, they're going to be thirsty, all that came true. You're going to see later on that the prophecies talked about the fact that they're going to eat their children, which they did. And all these things. Now, I do this because I want you to know that what's going to be showed later in our study is already prophesied by, by Ezekiel. But when we get there, if Jesus tarries, there comes a point in Ezekiel's book where all the things that he's prophesying that are going to happen to Israel and the city of Jerusalem, when they actually do come true, there comes a point where he gets word of the destruction of Jerusalem, which we just saw in 2 Kings 25. And from that point on in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel no longer talks about what's going to happen to Jerusalem during their time period then, but all his prophecy jumps to the millennial kingdom. What I want you to see is, that everything that God said would happen through Ezekiel literally happened. Therefore, from that point on, everything that he is prophesying about what is yet to happen to Israel and Jerusalem is going to literally happen. An millennial view where there is no literal rebuilding of Jerusalem, literal setting up of a kingdom in Jerusalem where God rules and reigns from there over the whole earth. Any view that does not see that as literal is now re saying that what God said through Ezekiel is really not going to happen. What he prophesied then did happen, and what he prophesied then about what is to happen will happen. Go to Jeremiah 39. Look at verses 1 through 10. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Someone's going to have to start reading these names for me. Nergal, Sar, Ezer of Samgar, Nebusar, Ezekim, the Rabzaris, Nergal, Zerizer, the Rab Rabmag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. We read that in 2 Kings 25. And they went toward the Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the land of Hamath. And he pa passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him, and the people who remained. 
Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So back in our passage in Ezekiel, he is told to build this diorama, if you will, of the siege of Jerusalem, and everything that he described was going to happen actually did happen. But if you remember, and I just referenced it a second ago, but I want to show you something kind of cool here. He was told to lay down on his side while he was building these siege works, and he was to hold an iron griddle between him and the city of Jerusalem. In other words, it's almost like a picture of, have you ever heard someone say, I feel like the heavens are brass. You know, I'm praying and I can't get through. I feel like my prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. Well, that's exactly what's going on at this time because God's shown through Ezekiel, I want you to set yourself here, put an iron griddle between you and the city of Jerusalem as a picture of what God's going to do to them. Go back to Leviticus chapter 26. Folks, as we wrap up tonight in the time that we have left, I can't wait to show you what jumped off the pages in my study here from the book of Leviticus. I know that's the book we always stopped reading at when we started in Genesis. You started in Genesis and the stories were awesome. In Exodus, they even got cooler. And then we got to Leviticus and we quit reading. Leviticus 26, listen to verses 20 through 39. God says, And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. By the way, this is in response to their disobedience. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, by, but walk contrary to me, then also I will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you, and shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I break your supply of bread, which Ezekiel prophesied, by the way, if you remember back in chapter 4, when I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Does that not sound familiar? Keep reading. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and your, cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, while you're in your, and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling on it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. Then they shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, 
and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. All right? Now, we're going to come back to this section in just a second. Now back up, though, to Leviticus 26, and look at verses 14 through 19. In Leviticus 26, starting in verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like what? Iron, and your earth like bronze. What was Ezekiel told to do? Lay down between you and the city, and put iron between you and the city. What we're going to do in the time we have left, as I put in my notes, let's look at how what God said here literally is predicted by Ezekiel. And later we're going to see in our study how it literally all happened. You're going to need a piece of paper here to go to do this because in the time we have left, I need to move kind of quick, but I can do it. I want to show you how this section of Leviticus that I just read to you, verses 14 through 39, in this section of Leviticus, where God many, many, many years ago, at the time of Moses, remember Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. God through Moses wrote Leviticus. How God had said to the nation of Israel, if you obey me, here are the blessings. If you disobey me, here's literally, specifically what I'm going to do. And because of Israel's disobedience, hundreds of years later, God comes through with what he said. I want to show you that just about everything that was prophesied and promised here in Leviticus, Ezekiel prophesies, and where, where we're going. And, okay, so let's look at Leviticus 26. Look at verse 26. You're going to need a finger in Ezekiel and a finger in Leviticus 26, all right? In Leviticus 26, look at verse 26. It says this. When I break your supply of bread, ten and women shall break bread in a single oven, and you'll dole your bread out again by weight. Go to Ezekiel chapter 4. Look at verse 16 again. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure in dismay. Remember how he's just told them to measure out his bread for 390 days as a picture of how they're going to have to measure out their bread each day? That was told way back in Leviticus 26 that God was going to do that. And God then through Ezekiel prophesied it, and that's literally what happened. Go to Leviticus 26, verse 29. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Go to chapter 5 of Ezekiel. Look at verse 10. We haven't gotten to this part of the prophecy yet, but we will. It says, Therefore fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgments on you, and any of you who survive I'll scatter to all the winds. By the way, if you know of anything of the history of Israel, when they were besieged, and they were surrounded by the armies, and they cut off their supply of bread, what did they do? they started into cannibalism and began to eat each other and eat their children, just like God said was going to happen. Leviticus 26, look at verse 25. God says, and, and way back in Leviticus, I'll bring a sword upon you and that shall, that shall execute vengeance for the covenant 
And if you gather within your cities, I'm going to send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hands of the enemy. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. A third part of you shall die of what? Pestilence. There it is. And be consumed with famine in your midst. And a third part shall fall by the sword. third part scattered to the winds and unsheath the sword after them. Here again, the prophecy of God through Ezekiel to the nation of Israel, city of Jerusalem, because of what's about to happen, which we know now did all happen. Go to chapter 26 of Leviticus. Look at verse 33. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your city a waste. We just saw that there in chapter 5, verse 12. But let's keep reading. Look at verse 12. A third part of you shall die of pestilence, be consumed with famine in your midst. A third, shall fart, sorry, a third part shall fall by sword all around you, and a third part I will scatter to all the winds, and will unsheath the sword after them, which we just read in Leviticus. Thus shall my anger spend itself. And I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy, satisfy myself, and they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Moreover, I will take, make you a desolation, which we just read in Leviticus, and an object of reproach among the nations and around you and in the sight of all who pass by. Go to Leviticus 26 again and look at verse 26. Leviticus 26, 26, When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Look at verse, chapter 5, verse 16. When I send against you the deadly arrows of famine, arrows for your destruction, which I will send to destroy you, when I bring more and more famine upon you and break your supply of bread. Do we see it again? Look at chapter 26, verse 22. And I will let loose wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. Go to chapter uh, 5, look at verse 17. I will send famine and what? Wild beasts against you, and they shall rob you of your children. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I'll bring the sword upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I'm going somewhere with this. Stick with me. Don't, don't weary out. We're almost done. One more section, and then I can't wait to show you the rest. Look at Leviticus 26, verses 30 and 31. Leviticus 26, verses 30 and 31. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you and I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate and will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I will not smell. Sorry. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. All right. Look at verse chapter six of Ezekiel verses three through six. And you say. And say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your what? Your high places. Your altars shall become desolate, and your incense altars shall be broken down. And I will cast your slain before your idols, and I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones around your altars, wherever you dwell. The city shall be waste, and the high places ruined, so that your altars will be waste and ruined. Your idols broken, and you destroyed your incense altars cut down, and your works wiped out. Folks, have you seen it? Isn't that amazing? Everything that God said way back in Leviticus when he was giving them the law. If you obey me, here are the blessings. If you disobey, there'll come a point where I'll make these things happen to turn you back to me. But if you don't listen, I'm going to do this to turn, back, to turn you back to me. But if you keep ignoring me, 
There'll come a point where I'm going to multiply my judgment on you sevenfold. And let me tell you what I'm going to do. Boom, 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 boom. And Ezekiel now, hundreds of years later, is being used of God, laying on his side while he does this to prophesy and say, here's what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And it literally happened. Every single thing. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I've already touched on it, but I want to close with something kind of cool here, also from Leviticus 26. But we are in a day in which most of the church thinks that most of these prophecies are symbolic. And we try to read these things and say, well, what does that really mean spiritually? No, this literally happens. And that means that the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled will literally happen. I know that as I preach these things, my invites to go preach will go down. Because the church today does not believe this and does not want to hear this. And I know that in doing so, I may get less churches inviting me to come preach. Listen, God sets my schedule, not man. And I have to be faithful to show you what the word says. And I can't wait to show you because God said, said something here in Leviticus 26 that I haven't read yet that I'm going to which just as literally will happen. Go back to Leviticus 26. Look at verses 40 through 45. But if they, meaning Israel, confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and will, I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity, because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies... I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Did you see what God said? Even after all this, I'm not going to utterly destroy them because of my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they, in the land, lands that I send them, wake up and turn back to me, I'll fulfill all my promise to bring them back to this place. Folks, here's how we need to be praying for Israel right now. Don't pray that the nations will be easy on them. I know that sounds crazy, but the Bible says there's going to come a point when all the nations gather against Jerusalem and they all come to attack Jerusalem, that God will show up, reveal himself to be God, and Israel will realize he is God. And Jesus is the Messiah. And they will call on him. And they seek, will seek him with their whole heart. And they will be found by him. We need to be praying, Lord, be gracious as you do this, but please may it continue, because the only way Israel will turn to you is if they are attacked. We Christians need to be telling them in love, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. 
We need to be pro-Israel, but at the same time, if we keep thinking, man, we just make peace with Israel, everything will be okay. No, Israel's going to have to go through it some more. They're going to go through it some more. And actually, Jesus said about those days that are to come for the nation of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, if, if God doesn't cut them short, no one will live. That's how bad it's going to get. But you know, Jeremiah, one last passage. Jeremiah chapter 5. The same Jeremiah that's been prophesying around the same time that Ezekiel's been prophesying. Actually, Jeremiah started 20 years before Ezekiel. In Jeremiah chapter 5, God told Jeremiah to talk about the judgment to come against Israel. And look at verses 14 through 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I'm making my words in your mouth of fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Behold, I'm bringing against you a nation of, from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It's an enduring nation. It's an ancient nation, a nation whose language you don't know. Nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb, and they are almighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. Your fortified cities in which you trust, they shall be beat down with the sword. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in, the, in your land, so shall you serve foreigners in the land that is not yours. Did you hear that? In the midst of the prophecy about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and them going being taken to Babylon and the other nations, what did he say? I'm not going to make a full end of you. Now, many people want to know about the 390 days that he had to lay on his left side and the 40 days that he had to lay on his right. Y'all, we're hoping we get there tonight, next week. <laughs> we'll see you then.